Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Missing Chapter. Today, we're giving you a bonus episode where we discuss all of the feedback our listeners so graciously gave us and talk about some of what we missed, some additional notes on some of our favorites, as well as new pieces of trivia from what you, the listeners, recommended on this episode of The Missing Chapter. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Missing Chapter. I'm here with Phil Horander. Uh, We're giving you a little update today on the top five war movies. We've gotten such great feedback from you from that last episode. So we want to give you an update and uh, review some comments and feedback that we received from you guys. But before we do, Phil, what are we brewing today? Yeah, Phil, uh, we want to give a special shout out, a special thank you to a student of ours, Ashlyn Johnson. She and her parents gifted us um, a light roast coffee. It's an Ethiopian blend, and it's from a small company in Cobaskill, New York, All right, which isn't too far from us called the Chatty Wren, and it's really, really good. The description on the bag says notes of cherry, dark chocolate, and kiwi, and I have to say, there is like a fruity taste to it. Even a smell, fruity smell from the end of the room. It's much different from some of the Utica roasts that we've been drinking recently, and I really like it. So a shout-out to Chatty Wren and a shout-out to Ashlyn Johnson um, for a really nice gesture. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Ashlyn. Thank you. Uh, so let's dive right in. So we have gotten so much feedback. Arguably, I mean, you could say this, Phil. Would you say that we've gotten more feedback on this episode than we have all the other episodes? Yeah, and it's not even close. I mean, one of the things we really tried to emphasize was we wanted that feedback, right. whether it be on social media or through email. And and you guys, the listener, definitely came through. And we have just a great list compiled. And that's why we decided to do a separate you know, episode entirely and share some of the feedback that people brought up movies I'd completely forgotten about, admittedly. Same here. And we had good discussion on exactly what constitutes a a war movie, a historical film. Yep. Kind of the gray areas there. So you guys are very passionate about your movies, I have to say, which is encouraging <laughs> as a history teacher. It, it was fun to respond and have that discussion with you. And we're going to share some of what what we heard. Yeah, let's start with the first one. A friend of mine, uh, Matt Peralt, thank you for reaching out, Matt. Uh, you know, he loved Saving Private Ryan. So he he actually said, I, I'm putting Saving Private Ryan at number one. The, the one war movie, which I, I really, once again, forgot about altogether. And after after Matt pointed this out, I said, boy, I could really see an argument for the top five for this, is American Sniper. American Sniper is a phenomenal film. Um, for those of you that have never watched it, I recommend it wholeheartedly. Uh, it, it was the focus was on Chris Kyle. He had uh, 160 confirmed kills as a as once again the American sniper. Um, it's assumed to be much higher, maybe even double than that. Um, but he always said the number of lives saved was much more important than the lives killed. In the movie and even in reality, his longest shot um, was 1.2 miles away. So think about that: 21 football fields. And I think, Phil, you've seen this movie. I think Bradley Cooper did a phenomenal job. Yeah, Bradley Cooper, it it reminded me very much when we started talking about this and Matt's comment. Bradley Cooper in this reminded me of what I mentioned with Matthew Broderick in Glory. You had an actor, uh, in this case, Cooper had done Wedding Crashers, The Hangover. And then he transitions and shows just what versatility he has as an actor. 
um, in his portrayal of Chris Kyle. I thought that was, it was brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it really made the movie. Yeah, it did. It did. And, and the, the fact that Bradley Cooper was willing to go to such lengths to try to imitate Chris Kyle as much as he could. He, he ate 6,000 calories to gain the, the 40 pounds that he needed to look like Chris Kyle. Um, he was basically eating a meal every hour. And then he used his own trainer. He worked out for uh, a few hours a day for several months on end. Um, he took lessons uh, with a vocal coach to try to mimic what Chris Kyle sounded like. Um, when it came to pointing a rifle, he, he trained with Navy SEALs um, and, and professional snipers who actually even served with Kyle to be a consultant on the movie, which I, I just thought was a was a phenomenal uh, movie altogether. And, and once again, uh, thank you, Matt. And Matt even mentioned the fact that he was glad to see Glory made it too. Yeah. And that's interesting, Phil, the point that the, you know, the, the Navy worked so closely with them, because that is a point that we brought up in some of our, our yeah, other movies, you know, whether or not the government and specifically the militaries were willing to, you know, work with directors and producers in, in the, the realistic aspects of these films. So yep. that's, that's good to know. Um, Tracy, Tracy Evans, one of our coworkers and an avid listener, um, referenced two things because she's very familiar and, and loves Cooperstown, uh, as we do as well, Phil. She referenced... Um, a statue in Cooperstown and also a historical marker that New York state has posted alongside uh, Otsego Lake that references Natty Bumpo. Now there's an interesting story here because one of my top five films was uh, last of the Mohicans, of course. Yep. And we know that the protagonist uh, portrayed by Daniel day Lewis, his character's name was Hawkeye. Right. So where's the confusion here? Natty Bumpo is the original name from Last of the Mohicans and James Fenimore Cooper's book. But interestingly enough, the directors thought it was kind of too of a, a funny name and that um, audiences might actually make fun of it. No kidding. And they they changed Natty Bumpo to Hawkeye. And wow. Hawkeye is much more of a, I guess, serious, aggressive, aggressive almost, kind yeah. of warrior sounding name. So that was that was a great point that she that she brought up. And she also, and we get into what I mentioned earlier, Phil. What constitutes a war movie? She she brought up Dances with Wolves. See, yeah, I can see that. And, I can see that, yeah. You know, in the context of what was going on, you know, in the United States, specifically in, in the Plain States during that time period, you probably could make a very val uh, valid argument that yeah. Dances with Wolves would fall into that category. And obviously, you know, Kevin Costner and right, and the number of different actors and actresses that were that were in that very epic movie. That might have made my top five. Yeah, quite I, honestly, I mean, and that's where we go back to that that idea of how far do you go to consider it a war movie, right? And that's actually something that that some other people have mentioned too. You know, how far do we go? And five is a, is a small number. Yeah, you know, top true. ten dances with wolves. If that's a, if that's considered a war movie, is definitely you know in my top ten. Top five again. I'd have to do yeah. some evaluating of who comes out if dances with wolves goes in. That's true. Uh, another avid listener of ours is uh, Matt Knoll. So, Matt, thank you uh, once again for being such a, a loyal listener. Um, he mentioned something very interesting, which I never knew. Maybe you you did, Phil. Um, in the movie Glory, they talk about the 54th Massachusetts Volunteers. And if you actually go to the Canajahari Falls Cemetery, you can see some of those people. Chester Bromley Hoke, Augustus uh, Klinkart, and Medal of Honor recipient Zachariah Neer, which I think is just is a phenomenal piece of local history that I was never aware of. Right. And and listeners of the the missing chapter, you know, are certainly familiar with the name Blake Smith, our department chair. And 
and one of the special guests that we bring on quite often. He's done a number of different episodes for us. I know he's done a local history course, actually, a senior right. elective. So that's something next time you know we're able to sit down with Blake, maybe he's familiar with, maybe he's not. Maybe that's news to him as well. That's but a great certainly idea. some great information. Yeah. Always nice to be able to tie in where we are you know, with the stories that we're telling, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So thank you, Matt. Uh, Chris Congdon. Chris Congdon, I know, is a listener of ours. He's a former student of ours. Chris um, wanted to know if we had a beef in particular with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and Chris, we do not. We love Clint Eastwood. I love me some Clint Eastwood. We love Clint Eastwood, but he did know we, we left off uh, Heartbreak Ridge. Yes. Which, again, great film. Yeah. Great film. And he brought up some great points. And I, I, you know, I delved a little bit deeper into Heartbreak Ridge. The U.S. Defense Department, here we go, originally supported the movie, Phil but withdrew their backing after seeing a preview in November of 1986. Nevertheless, members of the Marine Corps had vouched for this movie's authenticity. So I guess there was, a, there was some debate there over some of the specifics. And the Department of Defense decided, you know what, if we're going to have this argument, we're going to withdraw our support from it. Right. Um, but the fact that the Marine Corps was willing to step in right. and say, you know, I, I actually, it's pretty authentic. And I, I think, think that, that, speaks that speaks volumes. Yeah, right. And though he had acted in earlier war movies and directed others later on in his career, it's the only war movie that Eastwood actually acts and directs. Oh, wow. So actually acts in and directs. His salary for this movie, this I think is very interesting because you're talking about one of the premier actors really of our time, was $10 million. Wow. Which is... Especially for that time period, too. Especially for that time period. But making him the second highest paid actor at the time, you want to wager... Who, oh gosh. who in the 1980s? And guys, this is completely unscripted. He does not know the answer. I'm, I'm curious. Do you know of a an actor that you think would be more sought after and and paid more than Clint Eastwood in the 1980s? All right. So when you think of 80s movies, not just war movies in general, but mm-hmm. like all over. I'm correct. I'm going to go with Sly Stallone. And the answer is Sylvester Stallone. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. All right. That's amazing. All that's right. amazing, that's awesome. by the way. So Sylvester Stallone was actually paid $12 million uh, for both Cobra, which came in out in 1986, and then Over the Top, which was a year later in 1987. Okay. So I, well the, done. You the passed 12, the quiz. But the $12 million, I wasn't even thinking of those two movies. Right. But that, wow. All yeah. right. Now, as we move on here, uh, once again, thank you, Chris, for uh, Heartbreak Ridge, and thank you for listening. And um, the the next one, I got to be honest, I've only seen maybe bits and pieces of. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to, you know, sitting at the at the TV with my dad and watching in some of these movies as a family and stuff. And he he has watched Sands of Iwo Jima, which uh, a former principal here at Canajahari High School, uh, Don Bowden. So thank you, uh, Mr. Bowden, for, for reaching out. Um, I agree. I think Sands of Iwo Jima, that was a phenomenal film. Um, of course, John Wayne, you know, starring in this. As uh, Sergeant Stryker, uh, I, I think that's a that's a phenomenal uh, take on this, and that's something that I that was not even on my radar. I don't know, Phil, if that was on yours, but well, I I think it gets us into what a lot of our listeners complained about. Yep, was that we left off some of the older films. Yeah, and did we overlook the John Waynes? Um, you know, and some of these actors that you know came before the the eighties, the seventies, and even the sixties. And the answer is no. Yeah. It's again, it was kind of our preference. Yep. The movies that we viewed almost doing the best to balance both realistic elements and entertainment. Right. And 
again, top five. True. Yeah, I know. That's that's the thing. Where do you where do you draw the line? Because all of these movies that our listeners reached out to us with, I think, are probably in top war movie lists. Very true. Yeah, I, I and I think there's there's bits and pieces of the Sands of Iwo Jima that I think really strike people, and mm-hmm. I think one of those, of course, when you think of Iwo Jima, what do you think of? You think of raising the flag, right? That the, right. that picture, uh, 1945, by uh, Joe Rosenthal. Well, I, I think this this really cool piece of information, I guess. Um, the three surviving flag raisers actually make cameo appearances during this scene, which I I, I think just brings the authenticity of this movie to to a whole other level. And I do want to point out the fact that uh, in one scene when uh, John Wayne is instructing that recruit uh, Hal Baylor on the correct way to march and hold a rifle, what's kind of interesting is the fact that in real life, Baylor himself was a Marine combat veteran. So he actually fought in the battles of uh, Saipan and, and uh, Tinian in World War II. And Wayne never spent any time in the military at all. So the fact that you have John Wayne instructing Hal Baylor uh, how to hold a rifle. In real life, it's the exact opposite. So the next person I had the opportunity to hear from was a good friend of mine from high school who's listening to us in Virginia, Ken Prohl. And Kenny, being a veteran, really appreciated some of the backstories, specifically accuracies, inaccuracies in some of the movies he, that we brought up. Um, you know, he certainly watches movies through the viewpoint uh, of a veteran with that background and, and is very aware of some of the inaccuracies that movies has. Um, some of the movies we brought up, I don't think he's seen in a while, and he's going to try and revisit and go back and watch again. But the one that he brought up, and I was happy he did, was Black Hawk Down. Oh, yeah. Because I said, you know, if we'd had a number six on our list, for me, and, and maybe even you, Phil, it would have been Black Hawk for Down. For sure, yep. And I, this actually gives me a really great opportunity to talk about some of what I came up with um, and some of the stories I had to share from that particular movie. But on the last day of their week-long Army Ranger orientation at Fort Benning, the actors from Black Hawk Down who played the Rangers received a letter that had been anonymously slipped under their door, thanking them for all their hard work and asking them to, quote, tell our true story. And it was signed with the names of some of the Rangers um, who had died in the Mogadishu firefight. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, that that's pretty remarkable, yeah. I think. And, you know, again, Ridley Scott's a name that came up in some of our movies. Yep. Gladiator, for instance. You know, he's got the reputation of, of doing very accurate very exciting movies. And I think Black Hawk Down, you know, definitely fits that that mold. Um, the Black Hawk going down, the first one, spiraling as it crash lands in the movie, was achieved largely through real skillful flying of the helicopter. Okay. You and I had talked, right, about the role of CGI augmentation yep. in our films. But for that particular shot, which is really the core of what the movie is about, um, the minute it hits the ground, however, the rotors are computer generated. Okay. But up until that point, you're talking about someone who's actually skilled enough in flying a helicopter who was able to That's absolutely you know, recreate that. Now, one of the things that I can actually share with you guys from Black Hawk Down that's more personal is that I, I would actually show this movie to some of my earlier classes. I started yep. teaching in 2001. And when we talked about you know the role of the United States in global affairs and some of what we um, got involved in, in places like Africa and Somalia in the 1990s, I would show portions of Black Hawk Down. Yep. And I vividly remember having a, a student in one of my earlier classes say, well, how do we know what's accurate and what's, you know, Hollywood um, kind of created in a movie like Black Hawk Down? We said, well, who would you actually have to ask? You'd have to ask a veteran. You'd have to ask yeah. the veteran, specifically the guys who were there. And we, we got online 
And we reached out to Mike Durant, the one whose Black Hawk went down and, you know, actually, you know, graced the pages of Time Magazine, you know, when he was released and came home to the United States. Jeffrey Strucker, Matt Eversman, Danny McKnight, the wow. guys who are portrayed by these big time actors in the movie. And to their credit, all four of those individuals that I just mentioned responded and answered questions that our students you know, gave to them. And they agreed uh, across the board about 90 percent of that movie was factual and, and very accurate in its portrayal with about 10 percent, which yep. I think when you're talking it's Hollywood, inevitable. Yeah. it's inevitable to have happen. But I thought. You know, that that personal story was kind of interesting. And that's something I, I certainly remember from my my early years of teaching. And you have some signatures. In right. Time. Yeah. And they, they signed stuff that, you know, hung up in our, our classroom. And Mike Durant was was nice enough to send me a, a copy of his book in the company of heroes, which that's if awesome. you guys ever have the opportunity to read, it's just it's phenomenal. The training that that uh, military and, and these people who you know protect our country go through. It's it's pretty amazing. Uh, last thing I'll tell you guys, 40 of the actors who were playing Rangers were sent to Fort Benning, Georgia to attend a two-week crash course in becoming Rangers. We mentioned something similar to that in both Platoon and Saving Private Ryan. 15 actors playing Delta Force members were sent to Fort Bragg in North Carolina and were given a two-week commando course by members of the 1st Special Warfare Training Group. And Ron Eldard, who went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, was given a lecture by several Little Bird and Black Hawk pilots, including Durant about flying in the battle. So wow. in this case, the veterans and the people who were actually involved in the Battle of Mogadishu seemed very enmeshed with yeah. the making of the movie. First-hand experience. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think you see that, you know, in the actual film. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that Ken brought that up. So Ken Prohl, thank you so much, first of all, for your service. Uh, secondly, for listening to our podcast. I think having your opinion on, on some of these issues is, is invaluable. For sure. Um, the next person I want to mention is uh, John McDowell. John, thank you once again for listening and thank you for your, your comment. I think this is a great a great uh, point to make. When we were talking about Crimson Tide, it actually reminded him of Independence Day, which once again, I had no idea, had the support of the Army until the movie decided to have scenes of Area 51. So once the movie was going to keep that part of the film, it actually cut ties altogether. So I, I think that's a very similar instance as we said. Um, about Crimson Tide and having the military connection. And I, I do like the fact that at the end he says, and I didn't like gods in general, so how about you guys? I honestly didn't see, I, don't, I couldn't really give you an opinion on this because I have never seen gods and generals, unfortunately. You know what? Gods and generals, for me, it's a little long. Yep. Um, and having come after uh, the movie Gettysburg, for me, it kind of paled in comparison to that movie. Okay. So for me, gods and generals, it's almost like a documentary. Yeah. But um, it... For me, it was a little bit too long. Okay. Yeah. And that's something, honestly, just because, John, you've mentioned it, Phil, you've mentioned it. I, I, that's something I have to see just out of my own curiosity. Uh, Ryan Malahan, brother-in-law of mine and uh, a good supporter of the, the Missing Chapter podcast who's listening in Connecticut, uh, reached out with his top five list. And I'm not surprised at all. These are all fantastic films. Full Metal Jacket was oh, on there. of course. Full Metal Jacket. And, you know, I did some research because I know the backstories. His top two were Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now. Okay. And yep. I know there I knew there were some good backstories to both of these films that I wanted to, to do some more research on. And here are two that I found for Full Metal Jacket that I think are, are just really interesting. Private Joker's shirt on Paris Island toward the beginning of the movie yeah. of Full Metal Jacket reveals that his real name is JT Davis. 
Okay. Now, J.T. Davis, this was a deliberate reference to specialist James T. Davis, who was the first officially recognized U.S. casualty in Vietnam. Oh, my God. Who was killed in 1961. So they wanted to make almost a reference to him. Um, Also, we think of Full Metal Jacket. First and foremost, for me, it's the performance of Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah, um, absolutely. Who at this point was a New York theater actor. He landed his first major role in Full Metal Jacket to play the husky private Gomer Pyle. And there's some great, great scenes and, and great, you know, bites from, you know, what he says and what's said to Private Pyle. He packed on 70 pounds. Oh, my gosh. You mentioned Bradley Cooper. Right. In his portrayal of Chris Kyle. Right. He, he actually ballooned up to 280 pounds. And it's believed to be the record holder exceeding the 60 pounds that uh, Robert De Niro had gained for a role in Raging Bull. That's insane. Right. The extra weight actually caused him, Phil, to tear ligaments in his legs while running the obstacle course and had to be surgically repaired after the filming. (sighs) It actually took him nine months to return to his usual 210-pound physique. Well, see, even that in itself, nine months? Right. Losing 70 pounds in in less than a year. In less than a year. I mean, one pound of fat is 3,500 calories. Right. Imagine the calories that you had to intake to gain that kind of weight. Absolutely. As well as, uh, you know, release, you know, for, through exercise and dieting right. after the fact. That's incredible. It is. And I wanted to mention a few things about Apocalypse Now because actually, Ryan, you mentioned Apocalypse Now and uh, Jack Reitmeyer, a good friend of, of yes. both of ours, Phil, uh, had mentioned Apocalypse Now and and really the cult following oh, for that sure. that film yeah. has developed yeah. and, and rightfully so. Here's the one story I came across that's really amazing. Heart attacks are obviously bad enough, uh, even if you're close to a hospital. Yeah. But now imagine having one in the Philippines, a quarter mile away from the nearest assistance, which was exactly the situation that Martin Sheen found himself in when filming Francis Ford Coppola's project, Apocalypse Now. Right. Despite the serious health scare, though, uh, Sheen kept it a secret from most people. Because he feared investors might back out if he was forced to back out. So while recovering, his brother, Joe Estevez, replaced him for several scenes. And it's virtually impossible to tell in which scenes Joe is acting instead of Martin. They never even revealed which ones. So you can't go through the DVD and say, oh, there it is. This, you know, we're at this yeah. minute. This is Joe and not Martin. They didn't reveal that. In fact, Coppola admits that he wasn't really you know, kept up to speed on Martin Sheen's health easier uh, either. Excuse me. Uh, for Ryan, Inglorious Bastards in the end, uh, the movie 1917, he felt should have been included okay. somewhere on our list. Yeah. So thank you, Ryan. Keep listening. So I think at this point, we've gone through all the feedback. Uh, once again, thank you, everybody, for that. How about we just take a second and we go through maybe least favorite? Do you have a least favorite? Maybe I, a couple? I do. I do. And, and you know, if I... If I were to talk about a few more that had been added, I, th- I had mentioned Black Hawk Down. Um, later on, I, I thought of the Deer Hunter. Oh, yeah, one. sure. But for me, Thin Red Line oh, um, yes. was one that I know got a lot of press. It had an amazing cast of, of very high-profile actors. I just didn't care for it for one yeah. reason or another. Yeah, okay. I, I think here I have a couple here. I think the the one that was very, very popular when I was in college, high school and college, um, was Stealth. Now, you could argue, is that even a war movie altogether? It was about a war. Was it an actual? uh, Not really. 
it was fun, but completely fictional. So I wouldn't even put that. I know it popped up on some of the, the um, you know, sites that we were looking at to try to review for this, but I, it was entertaining, not really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nonfiction. Um, Al Pacino's Revolution from 1985, which I'm not familiar with. Admittedly, I, I'm not. I remember watching when I was when I was younger, kind of interested in history, but it was just to this day. I even remember as a kid watching this movie and saying, "This is this is cheesy." So if I'm saying that as a young kid, imagine what I'd be saying at you know 36. Um, Lions for Lambs, Tom Cruise. Uh, you know I, that came up on a few different. Um, Sites. I, I had to be reminded of that because that was a long, long time ago. But original Tom Cruise, you know, that that time period, the acting was horrible. Uh, the premise even comes across very unrealistic, almost feels like soldiers get kicked into fighting for the cause. And I, I just didn't think that was a very good uh, representation of what our volunteer soldiers actually do. And I will admit this wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. I have never seen Jarhead and I've never seen The Hurt Locker. And it's, I'm very reluctant to admit that as a history teacher. And it's always been on my list like, man, I really got to see those movies. And for whatever reason, I just haven't. So for those of you that are listening that have seen both those movies, I mean, feel free to reach out and uh, you know punish me for that because I, I am that's on my list. I'd be remorse too, Phil, if I didn't mention Abby Fox, one of our listeners in Nebraska. She reached out to us on Facebook and wanted to get our take on the movie We Were Soldiers. Oh, yes. And I'm looking at my notes here and I want to mention that because for me, first off, I'm actually a big fan of Mel Gibson. I think yeah, he's, he's great in very uh, good roles for him. Um, and I think We Were Soldiers is a great, great movie. For for me, you and I show a History Channel documentary called Vietnam in HD. Yep. And it chronicles um, the experience of Hal Moore and journalist Joe Galloway in the battle that was portrayed in We Were Soldiers. And as I thought about Abby's comment and and my take on We Were Soldiers, I think for me, because I really enjoy that documentary and the way that it was produced and and filmed, it almost ruins We Were Soldiers. I prefer the documentary with the actual people talking about their experience to the fact that I, I almost forget about the film. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, it's something I would never think of. But yeah, I, I totally get that. And Abby, if you've never seen that that documentary, I do believe it's it's on YouTube, and I think you would enjoy it. And I think again, Hal Moore, uh, the late Hal Moore, and uh, journalist Joe Galloway, they both have tremendous books out, you know, documenting their their experience in that you know, real first offensive involving the United States uh, with with this uh, North Vietnamese. I think you would enjoy both of those. Yeah, so I, here we are as we close. Uh, you know, once again, I know we've said it all all episode long, but we do truly, truly appreciate uh, all of the feedback, all of the loyal listeners, and uh, we look forward to to some more of these. We, the other feedback we have gotten is, "Hey, keep these top fives coming." So, um, whether it's uh, other movies or quotes or presidents, but we, we're going to keep some top five chats coming uh, your way in the near future. Definitely, Phil. And just to reiterate something we mentioned in our last episode with Tim Field. You know, we're getting ready for a big launch of our new website and, and a new merchandise brand. So, guys, continue to be on the lookout for that. Follow us on, on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, certainly, we love the correspondence through email, uh, the missing chapter podcast at gmail.com. And we look forward, like Phil said, to doing many more of these and, and to continue to keep the discussion going. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander.
Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.